0: Okay. So, the second episode.
1: Second episode. 46 long.
0: We're gonna talk about it. Um, <laughs> so we just watched it. We, This is what we do. Um, we don't talk to each other. We just write notes while we watch TV and then we come here and talk about it.
1: Very normal stuff. Super, Very enjoyable.
0: Super normal. And we don't look at each other while we talk, either.
1: No, that's important. That's the key. Um, But that's, yeah, that's kind of the idea of watching these, having seen them a bunch of times, and immediately just kind of reflecting on it and talking about the things that we were thinking of.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you want to start with
1: today? Well, I feel like could kind of go through this one somewhat chronologically it kind of just unfolds I feel like starting with the cold open the intro scene before the credits which is the only time that the Sopranos ever does that
0: good definition of cold open
1: good yeah well yeah (laughs) maybe you know our throngs of fans wouldn't know just trying to be thoughtful
0: okay Yeah, no, it starts off, there, you know, with the show they're talking about John Gotti, they're interviewing this former, you know, kind of low-level um, soldier, mm-hmm. right? Um, while this is going on, while this interview is going on about kind of like the golden era of the mob, um, you see our guys, you know, just hanging out, um, bunches of money being dumped on the table. Yeah. Um...
1: I think it's 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 great too. Like immediately in that scene, what goes into establishing the characters and their relationships—just subtle things. So, again, starting off, you have Tony, Silvio, Polly sitting around that main table, counting the money. Again, Chris is kind of off to the side, similar to the scene that we had at Satriali's in the mm-hmm. pilot episode. It really does establish him as not a key part of that crew or mm-hmm. that uh, inner group. And then also when we have Big Pussy walk in. Um, coming through walking to the main table we see that he is one of these main players he's of the same generation he's really a peer but then at the same time he ends up walking past after he gives them money and he's actually reading a book which obviously separates him from the activity of his peers but it especially
0: what's uh, the book
1: Well, actually, I'm not sure what the book is, but it's interesting because then when it cuts back to him, he's actually reading a magazine that's called Healthy Living, which is really extreme. I
0: was going to say, in my mind, it wasn't a book, but...
1: So it's definitely a very intentional thing, especially in the context of those guys watching TV and Uh him reading a book. I think that does also isolate him and establish him as a character who's a little bit outside of that core group in his Uh own ways. And that even plays back in this episode where... Tony's kind of assigning him grunt work of tracking down the Saturn. And I'm going to try to not, like, ruin things that come later on in the show. In case. Mm. I don't know. But, oh. Hmm. Well, anyway. I think it is establishing Pussy as a character who is outside of that group in his own way. Even though he's obviously more aligned with them than Chris is at this point.
0: Yeah. No. And it does kind of tie back into some of that generational stuff like you did say that pussy was part of the same generation but chris is clearly not um chris is definitely definitely part of this new kind of gangbanger generation that we see throughout that episode um i don't know and i always thought like you know like compared like because polly's kind of of an older generation polly's not and Silvio, even mm-hmm. they're a little bit older. It's true. They're like the and we start to like have some more of their stories unveiled as the time goes on. But like they're older than Pussy and Tony.
1: It's true. Yeah. And Pussy's
0: not made yet at this point. Yeah, you know. So it kind of like even within that group, there's a lot of different generations, if you want to call it that. Right. Polly's like well, I guess maybe the oldest of them there.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, he's almost a remnant of the generation of Tony's parents, mm-hmm. I guess. He would mm-hmm. have been more active during that time than, than the others were.
0: hmm Yeah, I'm not sure about Silvio, to be honest, at this moment. But
1: Yeah, they are definitely representing different generations. And yeah. it's interesting in the context of what they're watching because they're talking about specifically the the lack of ethics and... Yeah. following of a code of the newer generations and how yeah. that's led to the downfall of the mob. Well, they,
0: they talk about, yeah, the situation today in the mob. There's confusion. There's disregard for the rules that served the old guard so well.
1: And, they, and yeah. that's
0: when Sylvia says, Sylvia says, if the shoe fits. Um,
1: I think Tony says if Tony, the shoe fits. Tony says yeah.
0: if the shoe fits. Sorry. Um, which, yeah, I think kind of leads into, do you want to talk about the title? It kind of takes us to the end, but I think it's important.
1: It is, yeah.
0: Um, so, 46 long, right? So we see, so there's two mentions of if the shoe fits. Um, and then one of the things that we have going on later on in this episode is the, um, the truck full of suits. Um, and it was making me, I don't know, it was making me just wonder... Like, they say, like, if the shoe fits, then wear it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's references throughout this episode to, like... Um, like, Brendan says to Tony... Um, Everyone knows you really run things. Um, to Tony... Um, when he's... When Tony's in his meeting with Junior and Jackie... Um, he says, like, regarding, like, the line of succession... He's like, who wants the fucking job? Um, and so... The, I don't know, this made, this made me think about the fact, like, is Tony really suited, for lack of a better word, um, is Tony really suited to the job of boss? Hmm. Um, like, does that fit?
1: What, it, it, yeah. You know,
0: like, is there a suit? We don't see Tony get a suit off that rack. We see Silvio get a suit off that rack. Right. We see the other guys, like, kind of frantically, in a way, like, once Tony says, like, put these back on the truck, the other guys are saying are like f- kind of frantically searching mm-hmm. through for their sides but we actually don't see Tony do that. Right. Um, and I don't know. There's a lot of talk. I'm going like way all over the place right now, but there is a lot of talk this episode about like, like people who aren't just aren't suited to be mothers. Um, and mm. I wonder if there's like people who just aren't suited to be leaders and there's, a, oh yeah. And then he also chides Christopher during that point where he's like, well, did you show any guidance? Did you give any right. leadership? Right. right. Like, and, um, I don't know. That's what all that was making me think about.
1: And I think, for me, what it opens up when he talks about if the shoe fits, then wear it, is the hypocrisy that exists. Because he can see these issues, and he, in some way, it seems like he's agreeing with the analysis from the TV about why the mob is in decline. Mm -hmm. And yet, at the same time, he's constantly abandoning these codes and these morals and these... Ideas that guided the generation before him, mm. and while he'll blame it for these reasons, he's engaging in the activity that leads to its downfall, mm-hmm. and so he's the one who's not wearing the shoe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think what this show really gets to and, and continues expanding on is is that theme. And we see everybody is a hypocrite. Nobody acknowledges their own behavior and how it leads to the destruction of the relationships around them, the people around them, and, and in the end, really just society in general, the mob's mm-hmm. activities are are constantly destructive.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I don't think any of them recognize their own role in that.
0: Yeah, but there is this nostalgia that he has for that. I mean, we just kind of see the start of it here. We only just meet Jackie April, but right with Junior in that one quick scene, Yeah. except for when he calls on the phone, right? That's the only two times we see Junior this episode. But we get, um, some of the first, we had a few last episode, but some of the first mentions of, of Johnny, of, of Johnny Soprano, Yeah, like how nostalgic Tony is for those times like when he's looking at the pictures in the end on, um, on Livia's mantle, um, and almost has this panic attack at this point. Right. And it's, I don't know if that's like, that, that last picture we see has him in it. Um, I don't know, I think it's pretty cool how we never meet this guy, but yet he's like just really present in the Totally. In the show. And in that story about him falling down the stairs we get yeah. during this episode.
1: It's interesting. I feel like there's I feel like that first scene is so key to not only what this episode is about, but what this mm. series is about. Mm. I think it introduces so many things and the fact that it's the only time it happens does also single it out and its importance. But I feel like what you're talking about, Johnny Soprano is this kind of specter who exists and has this impact on all these characters and is just kind of looming. And even though he's never a character in real time, Mm. he has this huge impact. And I actually kind of felt that way. It was interesting in that opening scene about... The television. Mm. It's kind of this specter presence. It's there. They're having these interactions, but there's always this TV in the back and they're going in and out of interacting with it. And Mm. I feel like it really introduces this aspect of technology that Mm. is definitely... It's definitely something that was thought about in this episode. The use of phones, the interaction with technology with Livia, with the... I'm forgetting his name now. My my small character Sopranos trivia is fading, but Wait. the uh, tattooed barman at the Buda Bing.
0: Oh, gosh. You know,
1: falling apart. It's okay. Doesn't matter. Um, his relationship with the phone, how that actually... It almost connects him and Livy in some ways, the way that mm-hmm. Tony is talks about his poor mother can't even dial the phone, and yet...
0: She thinks answering machines are operators also.
1: Y- yeah, yeah. And um, also Tony taking out his anger on the phone uh, for professional reasons at the end uh, with the payphone when he's talking mm-hmm. to Chris, taking out his anger on the person at the butta Bing. The TV... I, I feel like there's a lot of talk of technology. There's a lot of talk of corporatism. And I think that that is introducing themes that are just important to the turn of the millennium. Mm. So I think the Sopranos is kind of just examining that. The The mob isn't really suited to deal with the changing of technology. Right. And that's something that we start to see is that they had a better way of functioning and and working in society during that golden age, in part because technology isn't what it's becoming at the turn of the millennium. And mm-hmm. I think that part of the show is about all these characters coming to grips with that and how they are going to function in this new world.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there were just a couple of funny things in terms of technology that stood out to me. Um, well, the DVD players, yeah, for sure. I th- I thought were you know obviously linked into that, um, but then kind of just again those generational gaps, right? So it's this like kind of throwaway line. But um, Brendan, when he's there, um, when they're talking about the DVD players, he's like, oh, I used to be an installer, right? Mm-hmm. So even even for him, like that's almost like like the he's already well. I don't know, different than that technology. Anyways, he's moved on to this, you know, lucrative career as Brendan um, and taking math. Um, but then the other thing I thought that was funny in, in, in terms of technology um, and kind of seeing that younger generation or even maybe even a younger generation than Brendan and Christopher, for example, who, you know, they talk about cell phones, talk about the DVDs um are AJ and when Tony asked them well what are you getting in science and he said yeah. d plus yeah and I thought that was really <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny also
1: yeah um for me that was actually an important scene too because it was where they they cut to that from mm. um, and I for me it was kind of reinforcing the idea of how the behavior of these characters has an impact from generation to generation. Um, I feel like that, was early on in the show and we were already looking at this kind of aspect of what it means to be living a straight life, what it means to be living a crooked life mm. and what that entails. So the scene right before that was when they were jacking the truck and you had this driver who was talking about how he needs this job. It was pretty honorable. It's probably some of he, the most. He
0: wanted to be tied up. Yeah, It's probably
1: the most principled and, um, heroic actions we probably saw in the entire episode somebody Mm. who was willing to be hurt for a job that he needs to survive when these other people are making way more money by basically destroying the lives of other people around them so that that stood out for me and then there was an immediate cut from that scene which was very dark um to the soprano household which was very bright Mm -hmm. uh shockingly so in a way that was really kind of a standout from where we had just come from. And we see Carmela, we see Tony in this kind of carefree banter. And we see that AJ is saying that he has a D, plus, and Tony just basically overrides and says that he'll, you know, go to his teacher and, and mm-hmm. make it right, which clearly isn't good parenting, which clearly isn't indicative of a strong strong morality. And Carmella does protest to this, but it's obvious immediately that that's shut down. And Mm. and Tony's the winner. He kind of laughs it off, dances with her. He's clearly the one in in control there. But what we start to see through the course of the show is the impact that that kind of behavior has on this younger generation. So of course, we're moving away from the golden generation. And one thing that the TV said was they only have themselves to blame. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I think that's what this episode is really looking at.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's interesting, though, because the TV says... The character on the TV says they only have themselves to blame. And yet, for me, I feel like as the show develops and continues, it's not only themselves. The world is changing. There's something outside of them. And for me, the TV represents that technology that is also to blame for the downfall of the mob and that way of life these characters are trying to come to grips with what happened what went wrong or in some ways but there are some things that are outside of their small provincial world of new jersey crime mm,
0: mm-hmm. well and it is maybe that like um, I don't know globalization or like the corporatization of the things that used to be uniquely theirs, right? So there's the whole scene with the coffee, but um, uh, is it is it Polly or is it no? It's it is Polly who says, "Well, they've taken everything yeah. us, from us, our pasta or whatever, yeah. right?" So like the mob now is not even just uniquely these Italian guys, right? Like we see JD Williams. Yeah. um
1: Dean Bodie from The Wire. Bodie
0: from The Wire who HBO, making a
1: very small cameo in HBO this episode near love the him end. HBO one of the first
0: small cab cameo's except for in The Wire, but as anyways, Brendan's friend. Um but we see that like the these crime worlds are more integrated than they ever would have been before. Um like the world's changing, right? And that's also, I mean that's also to do with technology, but it is it's like these things that would have just been um, the job of the mob are now kind of being sold out in some ways right. to these you know, other groups or younger generations or whatever.
1: Yeah. And I think David Chase is, and well, in and the show, is taking a stance on that. Like the coffee environment is not a positive one, I don't no,
0: think. No, yeah. I don't think he's into Starbucks.
1: No, I don't think so. Or dumb fucks or whatever no, they call but, but
0: it. But butt fucks. Butt
1: fucks. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's good. But yeah, even I mean the sign of the coffee of yeah. the coffee shop is I mean, in, by Soprano standards, that's actually some of the clearest imagery I think yeah. we can see in the whole show. It becomes a little bit more subtle later on, but I mean this like radioactive sign yeah. for this for this coffee company, and and that comes back. That's clearly a theme that that they care about and they develop later. Mm-hmm. Corporate America and the impact that that has on the mob, and yeah, I. I think too. Yeah, it's it's not only um, how technology is changing and the world is changing, but relationships are changing, mm. and that's the thing that I think people wistfully kind of think about, thinking of this bygone era. But it's it's just it's not the same. Those those kind of interactions, for better or for worse, don't exist anymore, and they're changing. Right. And the newer generation of a new way of interacting with people. Well, and, we could see you know, it
0: like in in the relationship people have with their parents, right? Yeah. Like, that's one one of those ways. Definitely. Um, we can come back to that after if we want to talk about Livia at more length. But, um, yeah, but all of them. I mean, or, or we could talk about, you know, Jackie April, like how Tony's relationship with him is going to be very different than other people's relationship with Tony as the show goes on. Of course, I thought
1: that was fascinating too, because up until this point, we've seen Tony as kind of the boss, and yet we find out that he's not. There's a there's a higher level in the DiMeo crime family. Mm-hmm. And we see Jackie, but immediately within seeing him, and he's introduced as a higher power within the organization. He talks about how he has no control over his mm. bowels, and he's you know just a slave to this to this cancer and. We're just kind of seeing that everybody is... is yeah. Well, and he's already only... Someone.
0: Yeah. He's already only an acting boss still at this point. Like, right. even Jackie's just an acting boss right. for...
1: Right. Right. Well... Yeah. yeah going <laughs> into that.
0: Yeah. Um, um, you maybe wanted to talk about, like, some of the colors that were going on. Well... Um, I... You know, the only... Like, I... I was paying attention to colors also because it really stood out in this episode. But um, the only two... And I wasn't, I only started maybe halfway through, but okay. there are only two mentions to color mm. in the episode. And one of them was green. Was it green acres? Green. What's, green,
1: the, uh, what's the name green, of the? The retirement community. Yeah. Nursing home. Quote
0: unquote retirement community. And then the other one um, is when um, Melfi refers to Livia as a black poison cloud.
1: Hmm. Interesting,
0: but you you pay more attention to things like that than I do so
1: well It seemed deliberate. I think there was a lot of characters wearing pretty um, Strong color choices in their Mm -hmm. wardrobes. I Saw greens and I saw Mm -hmm. blues a lot Mm -hmm. So in that first scene in the truck we had the driver wearing a very vibrant green and we saw that some other times I'm not gonna come up with a theory no. Um, I think it's worth thinking about on the green. On the blues, I had some ideas. Well, there was enough consistency. Like Math,
0: I felt like was part, like you know, seriously. <laughs> in Breaking
1: Bad. Or well, the...
0: I mean, like meth is often blue in color.
1: Right. And... Well, for me, the blues actually, I think were were different. Um, yeah. I think the examples that I saw, the blues typically aligned with a situation where somebody was trying to be a kind of stabilizing or calming influence.
0: Yeah, but but Christopher and Brendan were both wearing blue the whole time.
1: Yeah, as they tried to settle down that that issue. And that's That's Christopher stepping in, and that's actually, I think that's a great example. Yeah, I think that's, and I actually hadn't thought of that. That's Christopher stepping in, trying to settle down the situation, take control, exhibit leadership as best as he knows, and make the best of this horrible situation. Yeah, And Brendan is just tagging along like a puppy trying to survive this basically mm-hmm. they're trying to i think represent themselves in a more professional manner than they actually are right. the other i mean i think there's a lot of examples we had tony dressed up strong blue shirt i think blue tie when he's talking to livia about mm-hmm. where she's going to be going about going to the retirement community mm. we have dr melfi blue blouse yeah. when after tony uh, goes to her or when while he's there in the therapy session near the end and he's wrestling through these issues with his mother and Murphy's trying to be this kind of calm stabilizing mm-hmm. force who's explaining the psychology of what's going on and helping him to wrestle with these issues and come to a positive mm-hmm. outcome. We also had Carmela when she was trying to um help Livia when they actually went to the retirement community. Was she? she had a blue shirt or blue bag or maybe even both. Right. right. But
0: I don't want to like we don't need to like come up with an explanation no. of it, but but there
1: was enough consistency there, enough, there that I actually I, felt yeah. like there might be something yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah. And um there were strong choices too, like like one color.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And I were, saw that with yeah. green also. Like the scene like I you know I don't I can't even really place yeah. this scene, but there was one scene where Carmela and Tony come home. Maybe it is from dropping Livia off at the Well, that doesn't make sense if Carmela wearing blue. Anyways, they were both wearing these green outfits at one point. I was like why are they both wearing all green Right, outfits, it seemed right? deliberate. Like, it was pretty yeah. strong. The, yeah, yeah, the use
1: of color did seem like it was trying to communicate something.
0: Yeah.
1: Those were my, those were my yeah. thoughts. Yeah,
0: okay. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Livia. Mm-hmm. Because um, I just really love that actor um, also. And I just think she's one of the key characters. Um even again like kind of like Johnny Soprano like even once she's gone from the show she's still such an important character and so yeah. for the time she's here I like to focus on her um, again kind of going back to what I was saying before like like who are like Melfi refers to her as you know says basically not everyone's an ideal candidate for parenthood um, and she's definitely not but I don't know if we see any good parents hmm. in this whole show Um, so I don't know like what our reference point is for her. (laughs) Um, and then I also, so, so, well, I could, I could talk more about her in a second. They also cut right from that scene. Um, I believe I should go back and check this, but I think they cut, or at least like it was quite directly following when Tony is in Melfi's office, talking about that, um, talking about Livia and talking about her, you know, who are ideal candidates for parenthood. And then he's looking out the window for the ducks, and he's mm-hmm. at home. And so I, I don't know if the ducks mm. are somewhat related to parenthood or, or care for little things, if that makes any sense. Because mm. um, there it was, I really, at least in my notes that I took, um, it came directly following each other. Um, and he referred to that as really special. And now, of course, we know like ducks like stay with their mothers and follow their mothers, and then they kind of are like released into the world. Um, I don't know if Tony has really ever been like released into the world. He still has a lot of um, guilt surrounding his mother, right? He, we don't even really know the true story. Like who's telling the truth? Is it Carmela who says, you know, I've told you and I've told Tony right. you're always welcome to come and live with us. And then Tony's like, it's my it's, wife. Yeah. He says it twice. Like yeah. it's her who's not, you know, I couldn't let her, I couldn't, you know, Carmela wouldn't let her come and live with us because of her personality. Um, He calls himself an ungrateful fuck because of that. Um, But then she is, I mean, she's this dark black poison cloud or whatever. Um, That scene where after she's sprained her wrist, um, she's lying on the couch and she's telling Tony to stab her. is really, it's like a really crazy scene.
1: Yeah. So it's really interesting. I was thinking about that in the context of who are these people reporting to. Mm. And Livia really does seem to be the only person who can hurt Tony. Mm-hmm. He's this kind of powerful boss figure. And yet he's so weak against his mm-hmm. mother. And when I, was wa- when I was watching it this time, it's really interesting to see those scenes where Tony and Livia really go head to head. They're on opposite sides of an issue and they're kind of clashing. And Tony is this kind of boss-like figure who's typically resolving issues or he's, he's at least in control. And Livia's just so, she's outmatching Tony so strongly psychologically. Mm-hmm. She's so capable of pushing his buttons and directing the argument exactly where she wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony never really has a chance. In that uh, scene that you were talking about, Uh, We see her use the poor you for the first time in the show, which constantly comes back and haunts Tony. And what we see is the evolution of Tony trying to talk reason to wanting to use force. Yeah. He, be, he using, becomes yeah, very he uses, forceful. He like,
0: what Melfi's told him to say, basically. But he actually doesn't
1: get there right away. He no. actually kind of blows up. Yeah. And he talks about, I can use power of attorney. I can force you there. Yeah. And you would think that would be the end of the conversation. What could she do against that, this kind of dominating mob boss? Yeah. Like, what could she do? But it's like, that's when she really goes off and she talks about, like, kill me now. Mm-hmm. What you said is, I might as well be dead. And, um she wins mm-hmm. i mean eventually she she is in the home she is she is forced there but in terms of that conflict between the two of them and the interpersonal relationship she wins that tony's mm-hmm. leaving as a as a loser to her in terms of the psychological toll totally. and even before that um, there's multiple scenes where you see her just kind of pushing buttons and knowing the weak spots of the characters around her. She talks about giving the jewelry to the cousin and right. that's when Tony freaks out. Yeah. That's when he loses his cool.
0: Yeah. And
1: it seems very intentional by Olivia. Before when she's talking to Carmela, there's another example she's um I can't remember now, but she she deliberately can kind of push things in a way yeah. that that forces the other characters to kind of lose their cool and not have that composure when when talking to her. And I love that scene too, the way they film it, they have this kind of low angle shot going up on Livia to kind Mm -hmm. of make her seem more imposing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, even though she's lying on a couch.
1: Yeah. I think she was sitting in a chair at that point, but you see her and it's this kind of dominating presence. And actually it was funny because from that scene, they immediately edited to Pussy and it was very high angle looking down on him in his office as he's you know about to go on this dumb little adventure finding a Saturn. But I think power is a really important... Dynamic to look at in this show
0: for sure and, and everyone has power and doesn't have power like at different times It's, it's not true. it's not really cut and dry. No, um, but I just want to go back to Livia just for a second um, And what did you think so like at the end? The last scene in her house that we see for a bit um, until Janice comes <laughs> um, but Tony's there and that lamp that she mentioned early in an earlier scene is sitting there on the table. There's very few things left in the house, right? There's Mm -hmm. like a coffee, two coffee tables, um, that lamp, it's it's in the the exact same place that it always was. And then these pictures that Tony's collecting. And even though he was so upset, like about the Josephine, whoever cousin Josephine is Mm -hmm. getting all these jewels that were stolen from the Cartier window or whatever. Um, He's focused on these old photos um, and pictures and that's what kind of like gets him. The lamps just stays there that like, even though ostensibly it's expensive yeah. right. um, or valuable. Yeah. Um, he does get very emotionally impacted by those pictures. The first one being just of his mom, the second one being of him as a kid and his mom and the third one yeah. being him as a baby and his mom and his dad.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I don't know. I just, the lamp was like, so, visible
1: yeah and there was nothing yeah. else in that room no, anyway. yeah well i mean he definitely lacked a loving and normal childhood i mean he has valuables he has achieved that he has mm-hmm. that in his life but he's lacking mm. support from family um he's also lacking good parenting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that would have pushed him into getting outside of this world and mm-hmm. recognizing the downfalls of of being affiliated with the mob and everything that that means
0: yeah for yeah yeah i think that's kind of linked to the ducks too Mm -hmm. like the ducks kind of like they do those ducks do grow up and leave their home right like they leave they're we don't know where the ducks are um so i do feel like those are really strongly linked with parenting and
1: yeah Mm -hmm. i actually found that last scene I thought it was really interesting because the scene where he's in Livia's house and he looks at those pictures. So it happens right after the scene where AJ's teacher, Miller,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, gets his car back and he opens up the trunk and there's mm-hmm. blood on it. And AJ I says. think it's just paint it's, a, it's red it's paint. Wet paint yeah. Okay, well, if yeah. it's wet paint, then it's clearly meant to evoke blood, yeah. I think. Yeah, and yeah, there yeah. is blood on the hands of, of Tony and Pussy and the people involved in getting yeah. that car back. They were climbing over the, the barbed wire. I always thought that they were climbing over the razor wire and there was still blood.
0: Sure.
1: Regardless, yeah. I think the impact is the same. But you have AJ saying, you know, my dad is a hero. Yeah. And he clearly isn't. But... The scene from there goes to a very disorienting shot of Tony in Livia's house through the kind of archway, zooming in on him. Yeah. And then it's going to him looking at those photos. Yeah, yep, yep. And he's an emotional wreck. And I think the question that it brings up and leaves the episode on is, who is Tony Soprano?
0: Mm.
1: Is he a hero? Well, no. We know. We kind of can already tell that. But who is he? Is there hope for him? Mm. Is he emotionally
0: inquisitive is he
1: is he a caring person where you know where is this taking him and and what's his character arc going to be and where who can who can he be who already is he because i think he's wrestling with that he's wrestling with who he is um especially in this time of transition in the crime family
0: yeah
1: There's this kind of power vacuum that's opening up and Mm -hmm. uh, his identity could be changing as a result. But I think that's a big question of the season is who is and the show show. in general. Who is Tony?
0: Well, he does make a leap. I mean, whether it's, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk lots about that. Like, you know, is change really possible for Tony from who he is to someone else? Um, But he does, there is a difference between him in the first episode and him in this episode because when he only almost has that panic attack. Yeah. Right. And Melfi says, um, sad is good, unconscious is bad. Yeah. Or something like that, right? Like so yeah. she talks about like, you know, him feeling sadness and then tries to push him into understanding that he also feels anger and like a lot of anger and yeah. hatred towards his mother, even.
1: Yeah.
0: But at least he feels so and like, you know, acknowledges that there's a feeling associated, right? He he clearly has feelings. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know if that's like a long-lasting thing, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, sad is good, unconscious isn't, or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple stray thoughts. Okay. Just a couple stray things came yeah. up. Um, one interesting scene is the scene where the mushrooms catch on fire for yeah. Livia. Um, what I thought was interesting about that is she's on the phone with Tony, but... The fire actually happens when she's looking out the window. Mm. There's a like a postal worker, this mm-hmm. African-American mm-hmm. woman who's working at the house across the street. Mm-hmm. And she's distrustful of her the same way she's distrustful of the Trinidadian helper who comes into right. the house for strictly racial reasons. Right. But when she's watching that postal worker and judging her and, and assessing what she's doing, that's when the fire actually happens. And that, for me, is interesting because that kind of sets up this theme of... The Soprano characters having these stereotypes of the black community
0: that Mm. actually
1: ends up coming back to harm them, Mm. based on some things that happen later in the show. For for example, some interpretations of the ending in Holsten's are that when Tony is watching the door, he actually kind of like looks away when the there's some African Americans who come in in a group, and it's actually some people think that. The other person who comes in wearing the members-only jacket, he misses him as a result, who could be a threat to him. Oh, I
0: thought we weren't spoiling any endings.
1: I I, just, I mean, they're just in a Holston's. They're getting ice cream. and
0: Yeah, Holston's is great.
1: Holston's is great. If anybody wants a hamburger and milkshakes, they should go there. We've done our big Sopranos tours now, so. <laughs>
0: yeah, well yeah but that's know, actually know, yeah it's actually important it's not i mean it's kind of stray at this point but um that
1: gets reinforced at other times yeah, in the show totally. too very directly there's, this
0: episode dealt with it a lot yeah yeah
1: it does and it comes back yeah it comes back at other at okay. many other points in the there, show
0: there was one weird thing this is just a kind of an aside during that scene um there's one at one point where we're looking at livia in in the scene but we can hear Tony's voice through the phone somehow, like, very clearly. It was weird.
1: Hmm. <laughs> that was like a good stray observation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, that. yeah, like,
0: uh, through a phone like that, we wouldn't be able to hear Tony. He's like, ma, ma.
1: Right. Yeah. That's right.
0: But we hear, but we can hear him while we're looking at Livia. Yeah.
1: Anyways. That's right.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that's mine.
1: I have a very random stray observation. In the washroom, we have Tony drinking orange juice. A okay. uh, clear sign from the godfather of... of Impending death, which yeah. does get revisited in this season later on. We have some oranges that come in, which kind of becomes yeah. a classic. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, the God, <laughs> like even just any reference to the Godfather, and of course they're made a lot in the episode anyway. Including but a just, Scorsese. Including look-alike. Scorsese look alike. Yeah, including just when I thought I was out, they twice pull, they pull me back in. Yeah, twice. Um, but it's interesting in terms of like Godfather because we don't. Well, we deal with Tony as a father. Kind of, but we actually deal mostly with mothers in this show. Right. Um, so I kind of like those two in kind of counterpoint to each other.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, we also have in the end the scene where where Tony kind of goes nuts and and beats up the bartender. We right. have that. The, well, I can't the we clo- remember his name I though. know this is bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's okay though. Yeah. And, uh, well, what happens, though, at the end is this: the show is left off with him acting out violence, people watching, mm. man in blue shirt, man in red shirt in the back. Right. Um, like devil
0: and angel kind of dudes. Yeah. Or something.
1: Yeah. Let other people decide. But then we have the dancers and we have them just continue dancing. They watch. They kind of stall. yeah, And that really sets up this theme that I think is really important in this show of people not risking their well-being to do what's right. Right. And just doing what's easy. And if everybody's doing what's easy, it, it creates an opening for these mob types to benefit on that. Yeah. But it's very destructive and people don't really stand up for those things. Um, and that's something that that comes back a lot later the Kennedy and Heidi right. and we have a lot of characters that is clearly like a major theme of the yeah. show when what happens when somebody doesn't do the right thing and we start to see the outcomes there's right. and there's a lot of things that happen right and things could be prevented if people actually stood up for, for the right things mm-hmm. and that ties in directly to the cold open well right. they only have themselves to blame yeah. because people aren't They're acting true. with a code acting with yeah. principles
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah do you have some other things?
0: You know, nothing that's really sticking with me.
1: I have, okay, i have one more. Okay. With the actually with the dancers. We have okay. kind of like reinforcing the complexity of Tony's relationship with women and, and everyone's kind of this the relationship between men and women in the mm-hmm. show. While he's talking to Livia on the phone call, we have these topless dancers, the two of them dancing behind him mm-hmm. in the frame that he's in. And I think that relationship with his mother and the unanswered questions he has and the psychological impact of growing up with Livia has impacted the way that he interacts with women. Yeah. And I think that that's the same way that later characters like Ralph Sefaretto and, and other, and other people also also interact with women, especially in that context of being in the Buda Bing and engaging in business practices of exploiting, you know, women's bodies basically Mm. for profit. Mm. Um, I think it was just a nice juxtaposition of him talking to his mom, working out these issues in the environment of having topless dancers. And and they're like,
0: is your mom? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I like that one too.
1: Yeah. That's my stray observations. That's it.
0: Okay. I like them. Well, Um, but you know, it's, it's, and I guess just to kind of wrap that thought up, like it, it is interesting when we see like what spaces are, Feminine or feminized spaces, right. and what spaces are male or masculine spaces, right? So, like, the bada bang is a place where a lot of violence and like man's club kind of things occur, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Carmela never sets foot in the bada bang. Um, no, you know, nor do any of the women that we know. We don't know. We don't know the names of the dancers in the show, right? Like, so right,
1: we, and yeah,
0: um, so you know, seeing those spaces versus their home or Livia's home. um, These are these kind of different environments. So that's, I think, important to pay attention to. And
1: that's a contrast to the first episode, too, that starts off in this disorienting feminized space of, Mm. well, really feminized space of the very first shot is looking at Tony through the legs of a woman. Yeah, yeah. Which I have to, since we were watching Rashomon, the Kurosawa movie, the other day. I feel like there is a reference there, which I hadn't picked mm. up on when we watched it. But Yeah,
0: too bad you hadn't watched it. It's too bad we talked about the first
1: episode. Should have done it. Should have been watching Rashomon. Yeah. But there's a, a very similar scene where there's a shot going through the legs of a man, actually framing in a in a way that was really reminiscent mm-hmm. of that introductory shot. But framing a woman. Which, yeah, and also. The fact that there was other things in that movie, like the use of the film directly into the sunlight makes yeah, that we'll comes
0: just, we're gonna have to just pay attention to it as it comes.
1: We're gonna have to pay attention to it as it comes. But I think that David Chase is referencing that movie sometimes in terms of filmmaking. It does seem like an influential movie. Well, I mean movie. he's
0: like I mean what films is he not referencing, really? But that like, does seem he, like
1: an important one.
0: Yeah, well, well, and we'll come to some. I'm, I'm sure we're going to see Rashomon references again. Probably. Uh, I know for a fact coming up. In, well, I know we look in, at the sun direct, in College yeah. and things like that. We yeah. definitely do. Um, right. But then, you know, we also have him focusing on westerns, and we also have him, of you know, and The Godfather and other yeah. movies, obviously. So. But that's
1: an interesting one for the first shot. Yeah. Because, uh, it was a very similar composition. The frame was set up in the same way. And that is a very creative, unique shot. And I actually, I don't think that that is a coincidence necessarily. Yeah. Um, And I think that he's also constantly, I mean, that was a movie from 1950. I think it's interesting to think about the shows constantly referencing the golden age Mm. of mobsters, Mm. but it's also constantly looking back at the golden age of film and television. And we're looking at, we're always referencing Goodfellas and these classic crime movies, these classic mob movies. And how does The The Sopranos fit into that? Because it's, from the very beginning, it's so different. And it really establishes itself as a show that's going to look at a different angle of that industry and those characters um, and through a different lens. And it's really establishing itself as a product of the time that it was made in, which is this turn of the millennium. Yeah. Um. But it is referencing and looking back and reflecting on the golden age of these, where it comes from. Well,
0: and different generations again. Like it's a show about generations, and we're, yeah. we're going to use references to different times to kind of give us information about those generations. Yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah. Well, forty-six long.
0: Good talk. Good talk. We
1: could uh, talk. Well, the titles. I feel like very briefly. I feel like the titles of these shows are always important. Yeah. And I feel like they always reflect. Um, and reinforce the themes that we're talking about and are yeah. a big part of the episodes. Um, anyway, without going too deep into it, but it's, we it's a good thing. It. It's a good thing to think about.
0: <laughs> the titles.
1: Well, no, but we, 46 we, long. We talked about it. We did. Yeah. Did we? Did we, we did. enough?
0: We did. <laughs> we did.
1: We talked about it enough. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's good. We've talked about everything enough. It's cool. Yeah. We're done.
0: That's good. Good well, talk.
1: good talk. Thank you. Um, And we'll see you for the next episode.
0: Yeah, episode three.